This is Caminantes, where you are invited behind the curtain of the 2021 Caminos Festival and into the creative minds of this year's Caminantes. Think about this podcast as the theater lobby, where people can mingle and talk about the incredible art they're creating. And then from there, it became very therapeutic. So then I just didn't stop. You need a space to be like messed up and you need a space to acknowledge when something bad happens. It's possibilities and freedom. As it turns out, laughter is contagious. Queer love is an onion. <laughs> In this episode, you will hear two conversations. First, we'll hear from Yago Mesquita, Paula Carreño, and Renato Valdin. Before we start the episode, we want to give a little bit of context to the very first question asked right off the top of the conversation. The question is in regards to Yago Mesquita's piece, a Brazil flag emoji 47, which follows a young queer Brazilian-Canadian Kawa as he hooks up with and becomes romantically involved with a man more than twice his age, who also happens to be Brazilian. Let's get started! My name is Iago Mesquita. Um, my show, my pronouns are he, him. Um, and my show is a long title. It's called A Brazil Flag Emoji 47. Um, I like to call it ABFE for short because too many syllables. Hi, my name is Maria Paula Carreño. Uh, the title of my show is Lo Que Si Necesitas. Yeah, pretty excited to be here. Hi, everybody. My name is Renato Baudin. I am a Brazilian queer artist. I'm living here in Toronto for three years, almost two at home. And my show at Caminos will be Rockin' Futures. Uh, it's an art installation to talk about, uh, to bring stories of new parents that decided to have baby during the pandemic. Um, okay, so first of all, nice to meet both of you digitally. <laughs> and um, I actually have questions for both. Um, so I'll start with a question for Jago. First of all, I just want to say uh, you're very brave, in my opinion, to bring the topic of conversation that you're bringing with your uh, project for Caminos. I, as a queer person as well, I've gone through that same questioning of trauma and what that has to do with my queerness and how I bring that into my relationships. I'm just curious to know how, how you came about it and where you got that courage to speak about it. And if you don't mind sharing where the story comes from. To try and make a long story short, this kind of started um, at the beginning of the pandemic. I had just graduated from theater school and me and some friends we were gonna apply to this opportunity to develop a piece and we were creating this immersive show that was about to be that was going to be about four people's experience with fatherlessness because we were kind of interested in this idea of like how does that affect you at home where is the place where you should be feel, like feel the safest and in like trying to write things i could never come up with anything. I kept, it was almost like it was a little too hard because it was difficult to unpack those things and make something out of it. So what I did was I made a character and I put them in a situation completely different from a situation that, that I was in. Like I keep seeing that this is kind of a piece that intersects like all the sections of my identity, like my artistic identity, my cultural identity and my, um, my queer identity and that's 
to me, that's very interesting. Yeah. So I know that your piece is kind of like autobiographical. And um, like for me, because it was so difficult to kind of create from that that autobiographical place because like there was a lot to unpack for myself, um, especially because I'm pretty young. Um, I was kind of curious as to like what that process was like for you in creating something that is kind of rooted in the reality of your life. Thank you for the question. Um, you know, you I think you gave me the answer in your question um, in trying to come up with uh, how to answer it. And I think I don't I don't want to say age as much as maybe the experiences at that point in my life. I was trying to find things to connect with outside of me. And I wasn't really able to come from my experience. I started writing comedy, uh, stand up comedy in my native language, Spanish. The art of it is to talk about your daily life. And in having to write about myself and having to begin to unpack me in a funny way, <laughs> I mean, hopefully, right? <laughs> we always hope that people are going to laugh. That was the beginning of me digging into myself. Then from there, it became very therapeutic. So then I just didn't stop. And of course, it was a huge, huge thing to get rid of that uh, little voice that tells you people are going to judge you. <laughs> uh, and the fear of not being liked. That was definitely something I had to get over before I was able to write from a place of, of me. It's so interesting, Lisa, and you both, because it, it, it brings me so many images in my mind. So I, I don't have 20 anymore. I don't have 30 anymore. I am <laughs> 44, which I'm very proud of. As a queer person, uh, it's completely different uh, in my, when I was youth in Brazil. And now that I'm living here in Toronto, uh, I'm actually reborning and I'm rediscovering as an, uh, a different, you know, symbols or icons to identify my queerness here in Toronto. I think here I, I, I found a great space to, to develop my own identity using a, a different icons. For me, it's interesting how it reflects in my work because uh, I used to, to work in heritage, museums, I am architect, so it's more structural uh, work for sure. It, but then the last work at Brazil was about the empathy. So I developed empathy exhibition that is supposed to put the visitor in the other stories, in the other shoes. So to understand the other feelings as well. And I was thinking how to bring these ideas to Toronto for this new possibility here, for this new world that I'm living in. And during the pandemic, I think, well, I, I miss a lot my family that's in, still in Brazil. And my first thought was, well, I think the most important thing now is a hug. You know, I need a lap of my mom. It's something that uh, at sometimes uh, we need this contact, this physical contact. And because of the pandemic, I'm here two years without me then. I started to think, how can I 
translate these feelings or how can I translate these ideas in an art installation? And then uh, I decided to meet new parents or people that decide to be pregnant and to have babies during this pandemic and talk to them, not about this process, but what kind of hope, what kind of future it wants for their child. Uh, living in Toronto is something that the multicultural environment inspired me to find parents from different backgrounds and asking them to sing a lullaby at the end with their genuine language. So the idea is it doesn't matter which language are you singing, but the feeling that you are putting in the music and the sound that you are singing. And it's unbelievable how listening musics or lyrics that we, we can't imagine what it means provoke on us a, a, a feeling of love and care and it's, it's something that I, I hope everybody can can feel it. And on that, like that is so beautiful. It seems like all three of you are thinking about love right now and like relationships. Maybe you know this quote, but one of my favorite definitions of queerness is by Bell Hooks. And she says that queer isn't just like a sexual orientation or a gender orientation. It's her definition is that queerness is the self which is constantly at odds with everything else. So it just means that you're at odds with your environment. So I'm wondering for the three of you, what does queer love look like? Like what are some characteristics of queer love to you? That's so interesting because I mean, my piece is basically about love. It's, it's a love story. And in talking about the, a queer love story, it, it, it's sort of, you'll see it arrive to a conclusion about love in general. And, and I was connecting a bit with what Renato was saying about the different languages and different lullabies. At the end, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not about queer or non-queer. It's not about languages or countries or distance. It's, it's about love. I don't want to say it looks the same because it looks very different for many people, but it's love is the same vibration there's only one vibration you know when you finally arrive to to love in its essence um but to me queer simply means being able to simply love and accept other people the way they are just the way they are so that to me is queer love i just note two words for me that it's very important when i when I think about queer love, it's possibilities and freedom. Uh, I think it's a kind of love that offered to you so many possibilities to choose in terms of who you love, the way that you decided to love somebody and the freedom to accept and to love in this way. Love and like queer love especially is very layered and like it goes much beyond um, like romantic love. And I think that's kind of like a big thing that I've like started to understand and like kind of like Paula was saying, like it's very relational and like it goes beyond like just a relationship 
like a romantic relationship with someone. There's your friends, there's your family, there's your relationship with yourself. Like too many layers. It's an onion. Queer love is an onion. <laughs> I remember a song that my mom used to just sing to me, which is Se essa rua, se essa rua fosinha, eu mandava, eu mandava ladrilhar com pedrinhas, com pedrinhas de brilhantes. Só pro meu, só pro meu bebê passar. This song basically says if if this street was mine, I would cover with diamond for my baby cross. That was Iago Mesquita, Paula Carreño, and Renato Baldin. Next, we'll hear from the artists behind The Mask and Pandora in the Box. My name is Marta Chavez, and the name of my project is The Mask. The name is changing, but it is about the fact that during the pandemic, as artists, it's like if a hatchet fell on our heads, especially artists that depend on the communication with uh, other humans, which uh, became poison because we were all poisoned to one another. As it turns out, laughter is contagious. So, <laughs> because uh, saliva, saliva va, saliva viene. And then I started doing shows online and I started putting my dolls, all of the little Disney dolls that my wife collects and everything as, um, as public. So we put them all together as, as, as public and that's how I did. Uh, I, I, I grabbed my, I mean, I grabbé, I take my, my act and then uh, I put the dolls to laugh. So I think I'm going to include that on the, on the final product. But it's been like a work in progress, really. Like um, I started with one thought and then it's going somewhere else. I am Lorena Torres Loaiza and my project is called Pandora in the Box. It's a giant comic book to sort of reinterpret the Pandora myth. It's also an experiment in comic book uh, formatting. So um, in comic books, uh, space actually represents time because it's a sequence of pictures and to show different ways that time moves or to show different aspects of the story. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a weird experiment. If the box is open and everything is awful and the world is awful, which, uh, you know, I mean, right now it kind of seems relevant, then sort of what do you do with that information? Like, do you, do you, do you hide or like, do you doom scroll till your eyeballs fall out or are you, or do you choose to, do you choose to be hopeful sort of in spite of everything that it's that kind of that set of questions, I suppose. I wanted to ask you, when did you start doing being a cartoonist? Around. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God, I feel old because of that question. No, uh, maybe like five or six years ago. Uh, I did before I used to do just visual arts and then I did just writing. And then I realized that, like, I don't know, contemporary and high art. Uh, felt very restrictive mm -hmm. because people were really worried that like, oh, I don't really get art. And so they don't really engage. Uh -huh. Comic books are very lowbrow and very garbage for for nerds and for whoever. <laughs> and I really liked I really like that, uh, that people are not intimidated by comic books. And so I started working on them. Wow, that <clears throat> that's a great talent to have that like drawing, I think. 
it's not really a talent in a way. Well, same as performance or anything. Uh, it's uh, you just don't really you don't have a lot of hobbies and you stay home and draw a lot. And that's it. That's literally it. Girl, I'm going to send you my drawings and you will see that I didn't <laughs> have any, any hope in hell to be a cartoonist. I'm, I'm really looking forward. When I read Pandora's, when I read the title Pandora's Box, I really thought it was some something um, re, how do you say, uh, related to, to the vagina. Because remember when <laughs> Carmen Aguirre had that show? I don't, uh, the, the, blue, the blue box, box meant in slang, uh, right. you know so I thought this is the, yeah yeah like uh, the, like but you see my mind was in the gutter <laughs> it's a good place for the mind to be I think <laughs> no and I mean you know part of it uh, and part of the actual thing was also um, that you know Pandora is men and she was like like flawed with curiosity and the whole comic is like Pandora and Hope just two women like talking to each other uh, which I thought was kind of, uh, I don't know, I thought it was like a good approach. Yeah. So, so there is, there is a sort of, there is a sort of a woman-centric part of it yeah. as well. Well, Pandora was yeah. punished in the myth. Yeah. Pandora was punished by her curiosity because as, that was one of the ways that the, the Greek patriarchy yeah it was total yeah it was totally it was total patriarchal bs yeah don't don't Uh, look for information don't look for knowledge yeah yeah i like yeah and like she's supposed to she was supposed to be perfect and they were like have a perfect woman and she doesn't get to do anything and she's decorative and like that's weird but uh (laughs) yeah so so there's a lot of uh shady bits uh to that myth and stuff but um, but talking about hope, looking at your show, I was really interested in this aspect of the show being about standing back up after this hatchet fell on us and after all of these bad things happened. And so how do you decide when to stand back up? Because I feel like you need a space to be like messed up and you need a space to acknowledge yeah. when something bad happens. Right. Uh, so that you can actually process and stuff. Well, you know, I think that has that has to do with uh, being where I am from. I am from Nicaragua. When I was uh, eight years old, I suffered an earthquake. Then, uh, not me, I mean, there was an earthquake that destroyed the city of yeah. Managua. We, my family had to change. We had to adapt to that, you know. Then there was the revolution. My parents had to go in exile. I was studying here. Mm-hmm. Parents said, uh, well, we can't support you anymore because we had lost everything in Nicaragua. So wow. that was a new beginning. So I am kind of familiar with this. What it was yeah. is no more. So at the right. so at the beginning, at the beginning it was simply a survival, survival uh, mode, mm-hmm. as in disasters and wars and all of that. We go into survival. We forget what is it that we had projected for our lives and that at this moment we just have to survive i I started watching tutorials of making masks on uh, on youtube because on top of it i am a hypochondriac 
germophobe. Yeah. So all of my fears oh, were a little, oh my God, I didn't want to touch anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I uh, Besides, yeah. I have asthma and all of that. So I thought if that is, yes, I reach me attack, I am dead. So it was at the beginning was just uh, survival mode. And then uh, fortunately, I had some jobs that they hadn't paid me yet. So I knew that I have money uh, coming and I have my partner. And so I, I wasn't going to suffer for, for what other people, unfortunately, suffered during the, the pandemic. I was going to have a roof above my head and food. I adapted. I adapted and now I can perform on Zoom. So whatever, for, for cool. what is worth, at least uh, we have a new, a new instrument. Because we don't really, we don't really know. I mean, they can be saying, they can be saying, okay, you're gonna stay in, in uh, we're going out to, to the world, and then tomorrow they can say you're going back in the cave. Oh God, so it's true. You have to adapt. You have to adapt, and I have adapted now. What I uh, I have to adapt is um, uh, that we do lose our jobs when we don't do comedy for a long time. And I still can deliver my jokes. I still can, uh, I, I still, you know, have that that I have done for 25 years. But yeah. I have acquired some sort of uh, fear of the public, oh. which before I didn't have. I, before I will just throw myself like that and uh, whatever reaction, whatever. But now, because of the year and a half that we have been seeing uh, the vitriol, and the hatred against immigrants mm. and against people that like vaccines and against a lot of oh gosh, online. Yeah. I, I don't know who I have in the crowd. And then I am right. I am really surprised that, that I survived, considering that this all of these racists uh, didn't they 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 were not born yesterday. They have been around right. forever. But I, I as I didn't know, I have survived the 25 years on the road in places where they have never seen any Latinos or any woman Latina, uh, little towns yeah. in uh, in Alberta or, or in Northern Ontario. I have survived it because I didn't know that I was sur but surrounded by unfriendly people to the people I am, to the person I am. But so I have to learn again Tonight is my first night that I'm oh. going to go on the road to Hamilton. Right. And <laughs> Good. All the best. I mean, yeah, break many legs. I don't know if that's what you say to comics, but yeah. Well, you know what? I think it's interesting you mentioned um, that you were sort of in all those little towns and stuff, because I feel um, maybe this is like grossly optimistic, but I feel like most of the people that, that don't like us immigrants and stuff, uh, have mostly never met one and have weird ideas. So, you know, even just by going there, just by having people be like, oh, I saw Marta. Yeah. And she was hilarious and she was great. That already is like chipping away sort of at some of that nasty feeling that can yeah. that can happen. So so you're doing, you, I don't know, you, you're doing... Who work out there? Uh, you know how else, if, if I cannot tell you how else is that uh, when we came back, uh, considering everything, like pro probably all of this that we have seen 
this uh, 19 months probably was already there, but we didn't have time to be yeah. really looking close. So considering everything we have learned, um, your material, I think, has to change a little bit, has to adapt a little bit. And that was Marta Chavez and Lorena Torres Loaiza. All these artists are bringing their new works, which are still in development, to the Caminos Multi-Arts Festival. This year, Caminos is presenting the art of 32 different groups, both live and online, from October 12th through the 24th. Go to caminos.ca for more on how to see these shows and to support these artists. Also, are you listening to this song right now? It's good. It's called Dejaron Huellas, which is uh, Spanish for They Left Footprints. It's an amazing new single from Benny Esquerra and New Tradition Music. He's got incredible music coming out right now. You better check it out. We've got links in the show notes. We are speaking to you from the shores of this beautiful Zaga Egan, known to some as Lake Ontario, in Toronto, or Dugarondo. This is the ancestral territory of the Haudenosaunee, or Longhouse Confederacy, the Anishinaabek Nation, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. Araluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness with Sue Ballant. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Monica Garrido and Camila Diaz Varela. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at Aluna Theatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Miigwech and Nyawangoa.